It's um, so interesting, this um, awakening that's going on. Started at Asbury College, and um, uh, Phyllis and I got to go see the Jesus Revolution movie. I was trying, we did that Monday. We, it was sold out on Sunday, so we were going to go and didn't make it. And um, how many of you seen the Jesus Revolution Monday? Or son, uh, Jesus Revolution. Um, so, um, <clears throat> it, it it is so. Thank you, Kurt. It's so well done. Um, the acting is so good. Um, and uh, there's just a uh, every, every Christian that I hear that talks about watching it has been impacted, and uh, <clears throat> it's history. It takes us back to our roots. And there they are uh, in the midst of the movie. They're saying you hear this little clip of a song called Two Hands that um, um, Chuck Gerard had written. And uh, he was part of Love Song, which became kind of the first worship band in that movement um, and turned into the beginnings of all of our contemporary Christian music, especially the bands, the worship bands. And um, I used to sing that song, Two Hands. Like I sang it. I'm like, I, the other night I was up, I'm like, I wonder if I remember it. And Bam, like there it was, you know. I even remember the words, which is really unusual for me. Um, and uh, it was so impacting to watch. If you've been involved with a church at all through these years, you know the dynamics of leadership, the dynamics of trying to discern what to, show, you know, what to put your hand on and what not to and how to manage all that. It, it's not simple. And they, they're able to depict some of that struggle and leadership in this movie. Like, you're just sitting there. If you've had anything to do with this, you're like, oh, yeah, baby. That's, I know. That's a tough moment. That's a hard call. That's a this or that, you know. Uh, I just felt like they handled it so well. And um, at the same time, and I don't have my dates. I was going to look this up, and I don't have, I don't have this exactly right, but... You know, right now, there, this thing uh, uh, began down in Asbury College. It had also started right in then. I don't know what came first, the movement in Asbury College in the early stuff. No, California came first because 70 was when they had the Jesus Revolution. So it started out there first, and, but it was, yeah, so it was going on at the same time. And um, it really... It really, no one had their hands on this thing back then. And uh, Cindy Vincent's not here today, but she's sitting watching the movie, and they show this um, big view of, of a Jesus rally that was in Dallas, Texas, and could have been, I believe it's the largest Christian rally music that in, in the history of our country. It was that big. It was massive. And Cindy was there. She was there. So we, we all have our roots. In the, and then the bands that came out of that, that's what kept us going in, our, in the early days, you know, and we didn't know what we were doing for sure. We knew we didn't want to be like what we came out of. That's about all we knew. And, and, and the vision and the, and the goal was to find, and, and then you find yourself in the midst of 
leading one, a New Testament church, a church that's getting back to the core values of the New Testament church. That was, you know, that was my, that's, that's really about all my vision's ever really been, to get back to the pure and something that is contemporary in the sense that it's appropriate, understandable, but not compromised. Again, that's tough to manage. That's hard to find that place where you're still being open to the changes in our culture and the appropriateness and not compromise the message. If you can't compromise the message, you're like disqualified. It's like, then you're just them, you know. And how many times when we came out, we were so proud of leaving the churches that we left. And then it's not long into it, you're like, uh-oh, I'm turning into the churches that we left, you know? Like, all of a sudden, that same stuff you didn't like there, you're, you're there, you're that. You're going like, oh, I've got to be careful here. I'm going to, turn, I'm going to start that same stuff. So um, the grace that was there, the absence of people controlling it, the Lord was using people, but he was... And so I was listening to... Um, on Elijah streams, um, who I just told, who was it, Rob? French, yeah. Nathan, Nathan French. I can never remember his name. He was, he's in Tacoma, Washington. Now, Phyllis has been to Seattle, Washington, and talk about a non-spiritual place like that the whole city reeks with not being conservative. And uh, the churches are, you know, like that. And yet you're like, there's got to be a remnant there. There's got to be some Christians in Washington State, you know. And um, Nathan French is in Tacoma, which I looked on the map. It's like just south of Seattle. And this movement awakening has hit their church. And the Lord, and he's he travels all over. He's just the neatest, sweet-spirited, prophetic guy. And uh, he said, the Lord... He's like, I want to go to um, Asbury. And the Lord kind of like, I'm going to bring it to you. And that is what is unique about the. And I've heard this story several times, a lot of times, you know. And people start to make plans to go there. Of course, they've kind of shut down some of that because it was going to consume the town. And uh, it's like easy, easy, because it's just, boom, this flood of people came. And that's really not what the Lord wants. He wants it everywhere. He wants his church everywhere. And uh, it's, our government likes this thing of get bigger, get gone, you know, and um, the church is following suit in that in a lot of places, in a lot of ways. And it's not necessarily the answer. Like, he wants us to all be uniquely where we are, who we are, and, and uh, his body is not controlled by a hierarchy of leadership, but he, he wants it to be spirit. The spirit still longs to be the one in charge of building the church. Uh, if the Lord doesn't build the house, what do you have? <laughs> you know, you have these messes. And so he wants to be the architect of this movement. So I am, I am absolutely guaranteed that that, is going to come here one way or another. It's going to be here. And the Lord's already been preparing me ex that I exercise not quenching the spirit, that I uh, take responsibility even if I'm clueless about something like, I can't afford to be clueless. I've got to be watching. This isn't Habakkuk. I will get up on the rampart on the high place and I will watch to see what he will say. And then it goes on. It's a little bit like, 
and what he will do when, to me when I'm, you know, when he corrects me. Like there's some, there's some like, uh, I'm, I'm ready to hear from the Lord and I may get correction in it. And I'm, I've got to be prepared to deal with the correction and not just scream back like a spoiled child and you know, refuse the correction and deny the correction. But to be in a place where I can be corrected and the Lord can speak into my life. And so uh, I, I've been working on that like just led by the Spirit, like, and uh, some other things that I was reading and just start following what the Spirit's saying to me and, like, really paying it, trying to pay attention, trying to watch more. And so um, the main thing about a visitation from the Lord is that the leaders don't screw it up. That's probably the main thing. <laughs> it's like the uh, people are willing, you know, and wanting and hungry for things, and there's some stuff you got to do as a leader, but... But, man, you don't want to, for the sake of things being right, sometimes I've quenched stuff. And it's always justified. You can always justify these things. But it's like raising your children. You can correct every little thing, but if you're a good parent, a good father, a good mother, you also know you don't want to quench their spirit. You want to correct and break, you know, the bad behavior and deal with, discipline the bad behavior, but... If you break their spirit in the midst of it, then you've lost the battle. You'll lose those children. And uh, my, my grandson keeps me well exercised in apologies. And yeah, yeah, I just had to go through that again this week. Dang. And you're like, but I should say this. I should deal with this, that, you know. And it's like, there's a better way. If you don't love, if you're, if you're, if it comes off the wrong way, you know, and I'm like, oh my, you think when they're so, whatever, you know, strong in things that you can't hurt their feelings, wrong, <laughs> wrong. Just when I think, how can he be hurt like that, you know, by that, just like, comes in big tears, Papa, da da da, you hurt my feelings. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like, I'm sorry. So we want to exercise being sensitive, exercise paying attention to little things in your life. If we just get ourselves in a good posture, the Lord is the author of this revival, of this awakening. He, he's the initiator of it. No, no man came up with this. He, he's the initiator. And as I watched down at Asbury, they were saying no to some of the news, the, to the news media. They were saying no to different things. And other better worship teams were coming and saying, hey, we'll come and do your worship. They're like, no, we'll take our, we'll just stick with our imperfect stuff. I mean, that takes wisdom to do. I mean, it, it's hard. You're like, yeah, I should just step aside and let something else come in. See, there's where you've got to know. When to stand, when to, it only can happen by, being soft-hearted to the Spirit. We all, what did I, what I've been teaching on? We all have to hear. Well, in, in the sense, we all are prophetic and you have a responsibility to hear because even if you get a, person, a, a prophetic word to you or your household, you must discern that. You've got to know whether you have a yes in your spirit or a put it on the shelf in your spirit 
or a uh-uh, no way, never in your spirit. I mean, you've got to discern, and all of that's valid and legitimate. You've got to know. You never get to just check out and let people tell you what to do. You've got to stay in this place where you're sensitive, listening, watching, and, and, uh, and hearing him. And, and so, guaranteed, guaranteed he wants to move. He wants to move on our nation. And uh, some of the things that we're fighting or grieved, we're so grieved about in our culture, in our nation, God has an answer. Uh, I still have to, I have to slip this in. I still have to say, I love Donald Trump. I still, I still watch him. I, li- I mean, I still watch. And you know what sticks out the most to me? There has never been a more insulted, confronted, attacked person in our nation's history, especially a president. And he just, he is not bitter. He just keeps on and he has a smile on his face. He has a countenance about him. He knows something. And he, sh- if anybody's in panic, he should be in panic. He's not panicked. And he's revealing more and things are happening. What, what is that? That's a person that, that has confidence. And I only say to say this, we need to be like that. Shame on us for moving into panic at different times. Shame on us for looking at things in our culture and being in despair. Because we're, we're not seeing who's really in charge. And do you understand there's a, there's a promise that, that those that hate God, they're going to fail. And that the evil man, he'll be, he's a, he's a, a wisp of smoke and he won't be anymore. He won't be remembered. Like, who's to inherit the earth? We are. It's ours. Have have you stood on the planet lately and said, the Lord gave this to us. We're in charge. This is is ours. Till, Till he's done with it, it's ours. It's not theirs. And, and he, his glory, what does he promise? That his glory will fill, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. And don't dummy that scripture down and say it's something that it's not. Let it, let it be ridiculous. Let it be almost unbelievable. Just let it sit there all by itself and, and be something you can't even imagine. And yet his promises are true. Let every man be found a liar. God's true. He's true. He speaks the truth. He will have his way. He will have his time. I... <clears throat> Turn with me to. Uh, give me, I'll let you. I'll, I'll let you give me. I'll let you in. I'll let you in on where I'm going. How's that? <laughs> okay. I believe this began in December, and I was going back through my my notes and what I was teaching on, and I came across this phrase. Um, possibly initially in 1 John 3, 24. And it's this uh, Brian Simmons' combination. He puts two words together, life union. And he talks it and he uses it to describe a place, a position in Christ. And so I shared on that. And then just a few months ago, since December, between now and December, I had a dream where I was on 
a road and I knew where I was. It was a very small avenue type road that's just on this side of East Canton. I knew the road because it's where my aunt and uncle, uh, they lived on this road. It's just off of Route 30. And so in this, I go up and it's a, a house, just a very common house. And I'm not dressed in in clothes that I would go to the store in. I'm kind of dressed in my house clothes, like my sweats and my t-shirt, you know. I just went with someone to pick up the car, like that kind of weird, you know, hey, just jump in the car and go pick this up and, you know, that kind of, something about that. And I get to this house and I explain to the people, I'm trying to find the main road, I'm trying to get out to Route 30 is what I'm trying to do. And there's a house at the end and I've got to get around it. And it's just a, like a tractor path behind it. This road is just a very small and significant road and it, it is, it's like that. Probably just has a cul-de-sac, it doesn't go anywhere. And uh, there are homes on it and simple places and whatever and I'm explaining this and all of a sudden I'm in the house and they think that I'm somebody famous, like somebody well-known in the ministry. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm like, get up next to a cornfield near woods on a township road, you know, that thing. And um, i like, no, no, no. I'm like, you're, you're, no. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm just, but somebody, they keep pursuing me, and I pray for someone, and these explosions start happening, several people of the spirit manifesting on them, which is what I longed and longed and longed for, but I couldn't seem to get what I felt out of me or off of me. Um, great frustration. Anyways, um, it was happening in this dream. And they're like, oh my gosh, what is this? And out of my mouth in the dream comes, this is the life, this is the manifestation of the life union with Christ. Your life, this is life union. This is that connection. And uh, so, I really, I woke up from the dream, I paid attention to it, and I'm like, what is the name of that road? So I go to my Google Maps, I'm da-da-da, and, and oddly enough, the name of the road is John's Way, John's Avenue. So I, I'm like, boy, there's something on this for me, for me, and I'm like, keep going back to this, and Life Union and John's Avenue, and I realized the book of John, you know, this is kind of where I found the phrase at several places uh, in the Passion Translation, but, uh, it really, it really lit up for me, and it comes. It's coming back. Like I, I have to come back here, and I keep meditating. I, I'm, I think this is how it is when you're in the ministry. If you'll be honest, you you find some things that you teach on, and you teach on them. Then you come back around, and you teach on it again. It's like brand new. Then you teach on it again, like it's brand new. And then you're like, boy, I'm not coming up with, I'm not outside of my whatever. And then you finally realize, maybe this is just to be my focus, you know, and I just keep to refine these words and this direction you get, and perhaps this will minister to, to several of you. There's a theme, there's a thing that's in you, and you keep coming back to it, stop fighting it. Like, I'm always like, oh, I should have something new, I should be... It's like, just come back to what you know and come back to what's highlighted and keep refining it because you. every time I teach something, then I come back to it, I realize, wow, I, it's not even so much that you're wrong. You're just like, wow, there are layers and layers of this. I was just at layer one out of infinity. And so you keep reprocessing things. Every time I do, I keep re-seeing and re-feeling. And, and getting deeper with this. And, and I see this core, this value, 
that this, it's such a key to all. I'll, I'll talk sometimes about formula Christianity. We've gotten pretty, in our Christian culture, pretty free with, and we have little booklets and whatever, how to, how to find the Lord and how to get saved and all, et cetera. And they all have their place, so I don't want to bash them, except that we end up with this, you know, how much, what, are the, what are the statistics of how many Christians there are in our nation? And uh, then you run into these people and you realize it's, boy, it's only skin deep. Like, there's not real conviction there for integrity to walk in holiness or righteousness. There's lots of compromise and you're like, wow, okay. It's like, being a preacher, anybody can get a license. You know, let's go license to be a preacher. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, it's not hard. Just get online and order one up. Order me one up, Scotty, you know? So you realize you're either really called or you're not. Not everybody that says they are, are. And it's okay. I don't have to worry about that stuff. It's just that I have a heart for the real thing. I have a heart to see in our people, in us, and whoever, wherever I have influence, I see the real thing. That it's not formula Christianity, that it's Christianity that is walked out in covenant with other people where you're accountable and you're really going after stuff. That you can't just be up front and say you do and have and believe things and not have that manifesting in your house in front of your kids and your wife and, you know, the rest of the world. So... I know there's more, and it's like, wow, what, what is this? And, and here's one of those core values, this concept of life union, and actually it means grafted in. That word, when it's translated, it means grafted in. So you're not just a, a uh, casual follower of Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Yeah, I know Jesus. You know, he lives three doors down, you know, on the same side of the road, you know. He has a dog and three cats. You know, so it's, it's, it's a, do you know, but do you know him? Is he, do you have life union with him? Are you in, and this is what when Paul starts talking about marriage, and he's given some things in Ephesians, remember where he stops giving instructions about how husbands should love their wives, wives should submit to their, you know, all, the, all this stuff, which in a, in a good relationship, that's music to your ears. It's wonderful. Man, man realizes, I need to love you like Christ loves the church. Like he gets a revelation about that. And his wife is the, is the best taken care of love person on the road. And a wife that understands this truly, this concept of submission and yielding, she, she's like, he loves me so much, I'll gladly follow and lead because I'm a part of his life. Like I'm a part of the conversations. He, he lets me in. I'm not the object of an adventure. I'm part of his adventure. I'm part of the adventure. We're joined together. We're, we're married. And Paul all of a sudden stops. He pulls up for a second. He says, I'm talking, a this is a mystery, but this is Christ in the church. It's a marriage, you know? It's a marriage. And there's... There's really nothing, does anything else really, like if you call a relationship a marriage, is there anything else that's really like that? Business partner, like even that, like no, because why? Because that's not intimate. That's just technical. That's two people that signed a contract and we share this business and here's your part and here's mine and da-da-da-da. 
But marriage, uh, yeah, it's up close and personal. It's very intimate, isn't it? Like at the height. At the top, that's why when it falls apart, it shakes the world. Like when there's trouble in that covenant relationship, wow, it's really hard. Why? Because it's not two acquaintances that are having troubles with each other. It's the deepest relationship. That is the picture of your relationship with Jesus And that's the picture of what you must, the goal is to maintain that life union. So that's why, like, church membership and all those things, there's a place for it again. It is a place for it. But you can be a member of a church and not be in life union with Jesus. Yes? You can fill out the form and qualify and baptized upside down, right side up, you know, whatever the quality qualifications are for that baptism. And, you know, and I've taken communion once in a while and, you know, I don't know, whatever the things are, you've got to do this, got to do that, got to actually sit in the seat once in a while. And um, yeah, you're a member of this church. We, we actually, funny is that we have a real loose interpretation of our membership here. I do it just because of our, you know, incorporation status. It's there. How many of you even know what that is? <laughs> I never talk about it because it's like, it's not unimportant. But if you give, even if it's a penny, and you normally come here, you're considered the membership. If you stop coming here, like, as soon as there's some time there, like, but there's not a list that we keep. It's just that it's a, a current present relationship like you're here, you're a part of it, and there's some con- contribution that you give. And boom, that's how we define our membership. Uh, because I started to be real strict about it as I was designing this, and I'm like, ah, I don't like how this feels. This just putting me in charge of who belongs and who doesn't. And I'm like, I don't like this. So I, I just I c- created it so that whosoever... It's really the kingdom, whosoever. Actually, high standard, but it always stays this, whosoever. Whosoever is in a life union relationship with Jesus, whosoever. And each of us have a responsibility to maintain that. It's not my job to keep you in life union with Jesus. If you're stuck, I can help you. If you have a real issue, I can pray with you. I can give you some advice. I can count, that, that's good if you're, you're saying, hey, I'm stuck here. I need help. Let's, I won't, because my goal is to get back good with Jesus. I found him. I knew him. And I've gotten separated because this issue over here and this thing over here. It's like, yeah, sure, let's talk. Let's come together. Let's see what you should do to make your marriage good again. There are things to do. He's a perfect husband, and he's very loving, kind. His loving kindness pours out of his, you know, pours from him. And mercy is more merciful than any person I know. And, and so, yes, there's a way. There's always second chances, and there's a way to get back. There's a way to get through this, and he'll help you. Turn with me to John. We'll start there. So I've been teaching this. It came out back in December, and I'm 
I'm like, wow, I, I keep thinking about it. I write down verses, scriptures, and I keep seeing this term. So we're going to start in John, in chapter 15, reading verse 4 through 7. John 15. Am I there? I don't think I am yet. I'm, I haven't caught up with the program. Okay, here we go. So beginning in verse 4, Passion Translation, John chapter 15, 4 through 7. So you must remain in life union with me. And that's where that word is grafted in. Got to stay in this position of being grafted in. Do you all have the picture of grafted in? Remember, Bruce is a horticulturist and Mary, they're into the, yeah. He's always very connected with, with plants and stuff. And what is a graft? You, you graft, you cut a brand, you can cut a tree, cut. It's like kind of a, it's an amazing thing, really. Cut this twig, stick, insert it into a, another stem and tape it up. And so, by some miracle of God, it comes together, it grows, it heals. The, the cut heals. And pretty soon this tree, especially if it's a fruit tree, it can produce some different kind of things. Like, wow, that's strange. So there's this thing of grafted in. And you're still alive, but now you look different. You've, your fruit is different because you're grafted into a root. And this goes clear back to Jesus being the root of Jesse and Isaiah 11. And we're looking at all kinds of stuff here. And we spring for he's, he's the sprout that came out of this root of Jesse and, and all of these elements of the, of the Holy Spirit are on him. It's the prophecy about Jesus in, in chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And here we are in chapter 15 of John, and you know that. What's it about? I'm the vine. You're the branches grafted in. You're part of me. Your life is based on what? Being connected to the vine. And oddly enough, a grapevine can be humongous. It can be all over the place, but it'll come down to one or two places where it's into the ground. Like if you find that place where the grapevine is growing from, especially if they grow wild, they can get pretty bizarre, can't they? But it comes down, all of a sudden you find this stem. It can be pruned way back, and sometimes it's good to do that. But everything comes from that. Then the life begins, and it starts to sprout and spring, and da, da, da. It's a beautiful picture of being in life union with Jesus. And this is an ultimatum type of chapter. Like you're either in, you're either connected to the vine, or you're not connected to the vine. It even gets to the point where you're either fruitful or you're not fruitful. You don't want to be unfruitful. But if you're truly connected, you will be. It'll be automatic. You don't have to think about it. Because what? Because you're connected to this life source, this just phenomenal. You must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. So, beautiful marriage, reciprocal, yeah? I, what's the name of our church? Fellowship of the Beloved. I am your beloved and he is ours, huh? It's this two-way thing. Went away for several days to pray and fast, truly, 
I haven't done that with that many things, but I did with the name of this church because when we went through the change, like I just like, Lord, what do you call us? And, and out came this name in the process of a couple of days and coming back, and it's like Fellowship of the Beloved. I'm like, this is even a great name for like culturally, like people. And I still get funny looks like Fellowship, they can't even pronounce Beloved. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I'm like, really? How about Lotzenheiser? Can you say that, you know? I'll give you a tough name to say. It's funny how often they stumble over it and don't even, and I, I listen to them, you know, every once in a while someone will go, oh, cool name, that's a neat name. It's like, well, regardless of how it looks, it's what I came to. I've felt that from the Spirit. It's what he calls us, it's what we call him, beloved. It's our beloved, we're his beloved. Not exclusively, just we are. As a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. So what's the secret to fruitfulness? Another conference? Sign up for something else to a training seminar, all those are good. They're, they're all fine, except that the key to being fruitful is to be joined to him. If you don't do that, the other things you do won't bear fruit. You'll be, I built this church just right. I built this ministry just right. I did this, I crossed my T's, I dotted my I's, and nothing, you know? It's like he's got to be the builder of what you're doing. And, and it... It, you want to be fruitful, be connected. Get connected, stay connected to him. And it's true in all of things. Verse 5, I am the sprouting vine and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. So anyone that has a vineyard in, in the scriptures, what ruins the vine? The little foxes, things that come and nibble at the vine. And any of you have a problem with little foxes? You know, you know when you have mice in the house or rats or something, you know, or you have a garden and a rabbit's coming in and chewing up your tomatoes and eating your plants or whatever, and you're like, you realize I better deal with that real quickly. A groundhog. Man, you get a groundhog around your garden, they just start chawing off things, you know, like a beaver. Blah, 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 you know. They just go down the road and... So if you're a husbandman, if you're a gardener, if you're watching over it, you're very... If you're proactive about your garden and you want to actually survive, you are on guard. You do prevention. You put up fences. You'll, I've seen some people's gardens that looks like Fort Knox. I mean, you know, boom, fences, you know, whatever. Weapons, the whole nine yards. But if you're serious about it and you've got, you know, pests, things that come and eat it and destroy it, and they don't have to be big, they don't even have to be voracious. They just, you know, have to be the little cute little bunny that goes boom, 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 boom. Your life is no different. 
get proactive about the things that cause you to be unfruitful, that nibble at the vine and cause separation, cause woundedness. It doesn't take much of a little bite to mess up a plant. It doesn't take much at all. It's amazing how much damage they can do. Chipmunks. I had chipmunks. I start setting traps for chipmunks. I can't tell you how many chipmunks we got out of the, you know, it was a dry summer last year, and man, yeah, they found the big, orange, juicy, you know, full of water plant down. I start, I don't think, you know, none of them survived. Like, it was kind of like, yeah. You can't afford to see something's come and it's attacking you. You can't afford to not deal with it. And we tolerate things like uh, offenses and unforgiveness and uh, just different things. They're little. Your friends would be like, well, I don't blame you for being mad about that, but stop talking to your friends on that day. Find other friends. Find people that will tell you the truth. Because you can't afford to do things that compromise your life union. It becomes about that. Why, why don't you cheat and steal from the store? It's easy, especially when you accidentally walk out and you have things in your cart you didn't pay for. I went through a series of time where I'm like, oh my gosh, like I had to keep going back in, I'd come back, and sometimes it'd just be the silliest things, like, you know, you're fitting plumbing together and trying to figure out something, you screw something together, walk out, and they only saw, and you, you're like, I know I didn't pay for this part. They thought it was all one, and da-da, I'm like, I gotta do this. I've had people look at me like, you came back for that? Like, you know, it's like, oh, you must be a really good, no. I, somebody's watching. I can't afford to have the one that's watching not be happy, you know, like I can't do that. Like it's not because, and it's such a, this is the fear of the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord. There's a perfect example of the fear. That's what it's like. It's like you, you just realize, and I, and I don't want to break my union with him. I don't want anything to come in between. So I make sure I keep things as straight as I can in, in areas of my life. It's not about what you can get away with. You start doing that, you can get away with a lot of things for a while. And then, and then someday it all catches up with you. But if you're in a love relationship, you don't want to compromise that. When I was remembering this, Phyllis, as I was preparing... When I met Phyllis, I had, never, I had never encountered someone else, the blue kisses to Jesus. Like, I'd be like, huh, you got something that I don't have. Like, you have relationship. Like, I've never seen this. A good old Baptist boy trying to, you know, get spirit-filled. I hadn't gotten very far at that point, so I was still pretty rough around the edges and, you know very legalistic, and, but she, I'm like, hmm, I wasn't offended by it. I was intrigued. I'm like, wow. She goes, I love you, Lord. I'm like, wow. Wow. That was, that was her first love. It's what she just flowed in. And, and that's 
That should, that should depict our life. However it looks on you, it doesn't matter about doing the same things. It's about that was, and, and you should never leave that. That's, if you have that, you're way down the road. We get hung up on a bunch of other things we get all fussed up about and doing it right and doing it wrong and just, you know, and, and yet there's this simple first love loving Jesus, coming to know and believe him, feeling connected, knowing you're connected, and then don't leave that. Don't leave that first love. Don't leave that first thing. And when you do, when we start to, this is the, I'm talking way beyond what I wanted to. When you're separated, you're powerless. Let me finish this passage. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. So it just, it, it's just the way it is. If you, if you get separated from your life union with Jesus and you truly don't, like in some this passage is true. Can't afford to break that life union with him. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire, and it will be done. So what's the, what's the secret to getting prayers answered? Being in life union, like keeping that life union good, and, and then you just can believe, because you're there. In Romans, Romans 8, I'll just refer to it, but there's no condemnation for those who are, who are in life union with Christ. Brian, K, uh, Brian Simmons uses the same word in that in Romans. What's the guarantee? Living in life union with him. If you wake up in the morning, like Phyllis, uh, for whatever reason, woke up this morning, she's just laying in bed and she quotes Psalms 23 out loud. And I was like, what's that about? <laughs> Life union. It's like it's about living. The Lord is my shepherd. When the, the church can get left to center and get into things, and that became a, such an important passage and a, such an important concept. It was so simple until I had to use it to get out of something that was really going left to center, which was the discipleship movement and finding your pastor and all these kind of things. And it's like, whoa, 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 this is this grievous, something's wrong. It became, and immediately became very uh, legalistic and judgmental in the body and strange, weird. And just like when I left the Baptist church, I made this declaration. I, have, I want to have the mind of Christ. That's different than this mind we have here. I'm going after this. It's, this. it's the mind that follows after the spirit. I want that one. I know you have all your reasons and explanations, and you just, you've just explained the whole Bible away. It's now just a dead book. I'm going after the real thing. In the same way, I made this declaration. I made this declaration, declaration as, our, as I moved into leadership here for this. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the one, that's who I'm in life union with, and he will lead me, he will guide me. He will be the one that I'm sensitive to and that I, want, that I follow. And when I do, 
When I do, there'll be life there. I will be fruitful. It doesn't matter if people think I'm great or not great. What will matter is that I have him. If you have him, you have everything. Look and meditate on this. Like, get back to this. And don't let things tear that down. Get back to you. Being in life in relationship. And get back to that intimate place where it's about you and him. And you can work out troubles. You can have all kinds of things going on, but it's different when you're working it out in there, coming before the, coming to the Lord and keeping that life, that connection, and, and saying, Lord, I'm in covenant with you, so I don't know where this is going or not, but I'm, I'm in with you. If it kills me, I'm not walking away from this. If this calling kills me, if this thing you've asked me to do kills whatever, whatever it brings, I choose you because you already chose me. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name. We are weak. And we're frail in our desire to bless you, to serve you to represent you, Lord. But you are good. You're strong in our midst. And I thank you for calling us to walking with you. I thank you for this picture of marriage and the application to our walk with you. We are an intimate covenant with you. And there's no other way to walk as believers other than this. This is the way. It is what you require of us. We can't casually believe in you. We can't casually follow you. We can't half-heartedly say we are, well, that we're disciples and not be listening and speaking as a disciple. So, Father, I ask for grace and I ask for the manifestation of this in our people, in our midst. And Father, we do. We do believe and expect and wait on you and prepare our hearts for you to visit, for you to come, for you to be Lord, for you to awaken hearts, for you to move on hearts. We'll be faithful with what you've given us anticipating greater manifestations of healing, of power, of deliverance, of all the things that we long for and need for. And we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue to praise him and to magnify him. And then what, what Rick just sang, be amplified. And it goes to what Phyllis spoke and what Kevin saw about the praise. It, <clears throat> it magnifies, it amplifies. And he saw the church doubling. And I just, I just feel, um, you know, as that happens, our faith doubles, our strength doubles, his presence doubles. This, uh, this praise, this magnification, I just ask that you continue... Uh, to praise him as we have communion in, in our last song.
we just keep that attitude in his presence be magnified. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 29, probably the most common verses that we hear at communion. And it starts in verse 24, and it says, After Jesus had given thanks, he took the bread and broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, This is my body given for you. What I want to look at this morning is just the verse prior to this, just prior to where it says Jesus gave thanks. And it was in verse 23, and it says, on the night he was betrayed. And we often don't hear that verse 23. And of all that happens that night in the, in the Passover meal and all that we've learned that was said and what was shared and, and who was there, and, uh, and then on to the Garden of Gethsemane and what happened there and Jesus' arrest later that night, Peter's denials, the scripture doesn't say on the night of the denials or it doesn't say on the night Jesus was arrested or on the night of the Passover. Scripture says on the night he was betrayed. And I don't want us to miss what that means. If you've ever thought about what it would feel like or what your heart would feel like to be betrayed, I'm sure most of us have been cheated or taken advantage of or lied to. Maybe you've, uh, maybe you've been falsely accused or, or, or even arrested, but how many of us have been betrayed, turned over to the enemy, and what would that feel like? David talks about his broken heart in the Psalms. In Psalm 41, verse 9, he says, My friend, the one whom I trusted and the one with whom I shared bread has turned against me. Jesus was brokenhearted. And if we know he has a broken heart, there's no reason to hide our own. We prayed for many things this morning for, uh, for healings and, uh, uh, against cancer and against Parkinson's. And we, and we stand on those physical healings, but sometimes those things break our hearts. Even the thought of a diagnosis breaks our hearts. Sin breaks our hearts, and it, and, it, and it breaks the heart of Jesus. And our broken relationships, our grieving, our mourning, these are the things which breaks our heart. And I declare this morning that Jesus is here to restore us and, and to mend these broken hearts. On the night he was betrayed, the enemy thought he had Jesus, but just a short time later, the victory was won. And some of you are here this morning, and you feel like maybe the enemy has you. But Jesus says, you are mine. And so come to the communion table this morning with your broken heart and be mended. Jesus says, share in the victory. And after you take communion, during this last song, if you have a need, a broken heart that you want mended, I ask you to grab someone, grab Pam or Phyllis or me or whoever you feel comfortable to pray with. Let's have our hearts restored this morning.